morning. You may be seated. My name is Kevin Newsom. I am the associate pastor of worship and discipleship here. And uh, 2020 was weird for a lot of ways. And one of those weird things was that I went an entire year without preaching. Uh, and I've never had the opportunity to preach on the trailer, never got to preach on camera. And <laughs> now I get to. I chose to come outside even though it's a little, little cold. Uh, it feels nice in the sunshine. Uh, those of you who are sitting out here, it's, it's, it's pretty nice. And, and if Brian had parked the trailer six feet more away from the building, I might have some of that sunshine too. But <laughs> I get to be in the shade. So uh, some of you may have never heard me preach. We've actually got new members in the church over 2020 that, I, that have never heard me preach. So I finally get a chance to preach to everybody again. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, we're going to be in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 26. While you're turning there, I just want to say that uh, we probably have uh, what may be a full house inside and just a handful of people in lawn chairs, but there is an entire front row of vehicles filled with people. And this is why we continue to do this because we want to be able to minister to as many people as possible for as long as possible. And there are people that just are not ready to come inside whenever we go 100% inside. So we still are going to keep doing this as long as we can, and, and it's not too cold for me. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's, let's be outside and, and uh, allow everybody that wants to come send their vehicles to be a part of this. So we're going to be in Numbers chapter 26. I'm going to read a few verses. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to begin with verse 1, and then we're going to skip uh, ahead and read some at the end. Then it came about after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their fathers' households, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel. So Moses and Eleazar, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward as the Lord has commanded Moses. So if you will uh, flip ahead to the end of the chapter, pick up at verse 63. This is after the naming of the census. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the sons of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest who numbered the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said, un, said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. And not a man was left, among the, uh, left of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just bless this preparation, bless this sermon. And God, I pray that you would speak to us through, uh, through your word as we look at how, uh, how, what we can learn from this next generation that's about to take over here in the Bible. God, we thank you for the beautiful sunshine for the ability and the technology to be able to come together and to gather with all of those who are here inside, outside, in their vehicles at home. And God, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of them wherever they are. In the name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So the Israelites have completed their 40 years in the wilderness. 
no one who was alive at the Exodus is still alive now, except for Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. And as you remember, Caleb and Joshua were two of the spies that uh, wanted to go into Canaan the first time. So the next generation is the, is the ones tasked with taking the promised land. And so now we see here at the end of Numbers, Moses is beginning the process of passing that burden on to the next generation and passing the, the burden of leadership on to Joshua. At the end of this week, uh, throughout this week, you're going to complete the book of Numbers if you're following uh, the, the, the biblical guide that we're all working through. And you're going to begin the book of Deuteronomy. And it's going to seem like, as you're going through the book of Deuteronomy especially, it's going to seem like there's a lot of the same material again. You're going to, you're going to feel like you're reading the same things over again. That's because Deuteronomy is essentially Moses' final sermon to the Israelites. Within this final sermon, Moses is going to recount the journey of Israel as they fled Egypt, as they reached and refused to enter the promised land, and as they wandered in the wilderness. He talks about their victories. He talks about their failures. He recounts many of their, the most important laws that were given to them in the wilderness, and he explains the promises of God that were given to them for entering the, the promised land. And then then Deuteronomy is going to end with the commissioning of Joshua to take, his, to take Moses' place and a blessing for Moses upon the people and finally the death of Moses. I'm not going to preach out of Deuteronomy, but I want you to understand what Deuteronomy is before you read it. That's because Deuteronomy is much more than just a summary of what you've already read. This final sermon from Moses is being delivered to a new generation. Much of what he says, they undoubtedly already uh, had been taught by their, by their family groups and, and their tribes. But it's here that they get to hear some of these things directly from the lips of Moses just, just prior to some new leadership taking over. So we see Moses is clearly communicating to a new generation what the previous generation went through, their failures, their successes, their faith, and their lack of faith. Before they move on to the next phase in the existence of Israel, Moses wants them to understand their past and to know their struggles, the struggles of their parents, the struggles of their grandparents. He wants them to know where they came from before they get to where they're going. It's his final act before he passes on the torch. And a new era, a reborn nation of Israel marches forward to take the promised land. As we look at this, I want you to consider what kind of legacy we're leaving to the next generation. What are you teaching those who are coming up behind you? How will they remember you? And don't tune me out, young people. Don't tune me out because you are already examples to the ones coming up behind you, and you don't even realize it. Those little kids in the children's ministry look up to the youth so much. Students, you need to think about what legacy you are leaving for the children behind you. So whether you're 13 or 130, we need to consider what we're teaching the next generation coming up behind us. Moses wants them to understand that they, they, that they are getting a legacy of grace. 
They tried to rush into the promised land so the, the, beforehand, and it didn't work. The, the journey that brought this new generation to the precipice of entering the promised land began when the previous generation refused to enter it. And Craig preached on that last week. Upon hearing God's denial of them for them to enter, many of them rushed in. They said, we're going to do it without God. And they were destroyed. And that's when they began to wander. While they were wandering, there was a major uprising. It's known as Korah's Rebellion, where a man uh, named Korah, he's the one who, who led it all, and, and a few others gathered about 250 leaders to confront Moses and Aaron. And they basically were saying this, your rules for holiness are too difficult. We've done as much as we can, and therefore we think we are as holy as we can be, so our holiness is just as good as yours. You can't tell us that you're more holy than we are. So there's a showdown that happened where they, uh, they gathered to bring incense before the Lord. Korah and his people and, and, and the Levites uh, were both bringing incense to see uh, which, which the Lord would accept. And the entire congregation of Israel showed up to watch and see what would happen. God almost destroyed them all. He almost wiped them out and told Moses, I'll just start over with you. But the pleading of Moses, God opened up the earth and swallowed only Korah and only those that rebelled. Didn't stop there. There was a plague. Uh, they kept complaining. They kept whining uh, that it was Moses' fault that they were all going to die in the wilderness. So God sent a plague that killed about 14,000, and it was only stopped because of the priestly intervention of Aaron. God sent serpents to bite them in the wilderness, and they had to look upon the image of a bronze serpent, the representation of their sin, otherwise uh, they would die. If they wanted to live, they had to look upon this symbol of their sin. Moses wanted the next generation to understand the depth of the failures of the previous generation. The old saying goes, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. This was the generation that would inherit the promise. But before they made the, the faithful step that the, that the previous generation failed to make, they needed to understand the hard lessons learned in the wilderness. Lessons, and each one of these could be a sermon by themselves. Lessons like you don't get to decide for yourself what the standard of holiness is. God decides what the standard of holiness is. Holiness is. You don't get to blame others for your own spiritual weaknesses. You have to take responsibility. Pride in your own strength will be your destruction, but humility to confess and face your sin before a holy God will bring you salvation. And that God will not allow his name to be blasphemed. In other words, he will not suffer those who carry his name to misrepresent his name to a lost world. We look at all these failures because we want to understand the legacy of grace that was left to the next generation. Through each of these failures, God is teaching them about grace. And, and, and all of the lessons weren't necessarily seen 
clearly by this specific generation. Some, it took several generations for some of these lessons to, to really become evident. Korah, the man who led a major rebellion that sparked God's anger so much that God wanted to wipe out the entire nation of Israel. He didn't have his family line cut off. His sons were spared. They're included in the census. These sons would go on to write no less than 11 of our psalms, one of which was the inspiration for Martin Luther to write, A mighty fortress is our God, which we sang just a couple of weeks ago. And we would not have that hymn if God had not shown grace to Korah's family. During the plague of number 16, Aaron, the high priest, literally stands between God's wrath and the people carrying incense before the Lord. And by doing so, the plague ends. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus, our high priest, standing as our intercessor before the Lord. His death, a sufficient incense to stop God's wrath. The serpent lifted in the wilderness, granting healing from, uh, from the snake bites to all who look upon it, is the picture of Jesus on the cross. One, an image that Jesus uses himself when he's talking to Nicodemus, explaining what's about to happen to Jesus on the cross. The conversation in John that, that happens in chapter 3, which includes John 3.16, two verses later. What better way? to pass on a legacy of grace to the next generation and to show God's grace through our failures. When I was young, I was, I was, when I was little, I was really into astronomy. I loved space. I studied planets, stars. Uh, I, had, I had several astronomy, little astronomy books, and I would look through them, and, and I'm just about memorized all this stuff. Loved all that stuff. And since we've started this Mars race, I don't know if you're following the Mars race, I've sort of rekindled my, my, my geekiness over everything space. I'm, I'm watching the SpaceX launches, and over the past couple of months, they've tried to launch this big giant starship. It's huge. And they've had two launches and two spectacular explosions upon landing. It's been fa fantastic. This week, on Thursday, NASA landed a more... Let me show you this. These are my NASA socks. Craig makes fun of my, na my, my, my fun socks. So I, I thought since I'm talking about NASA, I'd wear my NASA socks today. Y'all, I stepped up so I could get some sunshine, thaw my hands out. But they landed a, a rover on Mars, a rover that's got a helicopter attached to it. They're going to test a helicopter on Mars. But did you know that 1999, they tried to put a, a orbiter around Mars that failed because there was a programming error in some of the coding that used uh, the standard English measurements instead of the metric system like the rest of the programming. And so some, some of the angles were all messed up and it burned up and, and just blew up spectacularly. That same year, 1999, they tried to uh, land a... Uh, they had a, the Mars Polar Lander crashed upon arrival because the landing system didn't deploy. In all, about 50 missions from agencies all around the world 
have failed in their attempts to get to Mars. Adam Savage from Mythbusters is uh, famously quoted as saying, failure is always an option. I think you can get it on a t-shirt. It would be far more comfortable for us to pretend like we don't make mistakes and to try to live out an example from the positive sense, always showing the good things by demonstrating the right way to do things without acknowledging the difficult uh, ways that we learn these lessons. But are we doing the next generation a disservice? Those coming behind us need to know that the lessons we want to teach them have often been hard won. They need to know that we've messed up and have had to pull ourselves back up to where we are now, and it's only through the grace of God that we've been able to do that. And that's the most important thing that they need to know, that God has a tendency to make something beautiful out of our mistakes by transforming them into something that points back to his glory. And that's the legacy of grace that we see painted in the failures of Israel. It's easy to focus on God's fail, uh, on Israel's failures in the wilderness. But there are many successes as well. When they focused and trusted on God, they were given tremendous victories. It's here in the wilderness that they begin to become uh, known as a powerful nation and feared by other people groups. So there are some good things that happened. Obedience to God began to transform them into something new. During the 40 years in the wilderness, they were shaped away from a ragtag group of farmers and craftsmen into a holy nation. We see them creating the tabernacle, adorning it with beautiful craftsmanship according to God's designs and instructions. We see them institute the sacrifice. And in both of these things, we see an effort on the part of the people to conform to God's instructions. Yes, they messed up, but they're trying. They're working. They're doing their best. And through this, God begins molding them into his intended shape. Yes, there are growing pains and setbacks and will continue to be for a long time in the history of Israel, but it's here in the wilderness that they begin to develop their faith in God corporately. They begin to trust his leadership. They begin to submit to his correction. They begin to humble themselves to his holiness, all of which was something they did not have when they first left Egypt. Upon leaving Egypt, they didn't know who they were. They had an idea who God was, um, but it was only through family stories. God had been silent the entire time they were in captivity in Egypt. That's why God used, uh, uh, God used the plagues as a platform to systematically prove himself greater than all the other Egyptian gods because all that they knew, all that they learned about religion and worship and obedience to a deity, they learned from the Egyptians. God had to teach them a different way. He had to teach them a holy way. That's why he spent so much time giving them instructions on what it looks like to properly worship him. It's why God began to give them symbols and rituals that point to point them to Jesus, their ultimate salvation. 
Moses wanted the next generation to understand that even though the previous generation failed that initial task of entering the promised land, that the previous generation still continued to serve God and to grow in their faith. Their time in the wilderness gave them that legacy of faith to pass on to the next generation. Something they could be proud of. Beforehand, before they were a wandering people group. Now they are the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God. When we think about our own faith, often we get caught up in our failures. We know uh, who we were in the past. We know our thought processes. We know our impulses. We alone know just how difficult it can be for us to even maintain an outward appearance of holiness. And so often, not only do we, do we feel like failures, but we feel like fakes. And if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. The other day, I was driving home. I was on the phone with Deanna while I was driving. And I came at the uh, red light going into Lugoff by Walmart. So I was right next to the gate gas station. And uh, this, uh, this elderly man was, was trying to come out of the gate gas station. He never looked at me. I don't think he even knew I was there. Uh, he, he pulled right out without a second glance and when the light turned green and just went right behind the car in front of me as if I wasn't even there. And if I had moved, I would have hit him. He wouldn't have known I was coming. I told Dion on the phone what had happened, and I said, what, what, what if I wanted to be a jerk in that moment? What if I wanted to be? He didn't even give me a chance to be a jerk. I mean, I wouldn't have been a jerk. I would have let him in. I would have waved him through. But you know what? Sometimes I'd like to have the option. You ever feel like that? There are days and moments when I don't feel like being holy. There are days when I don't feel like being a pastor. There are days when I would really, really like to be a jerk for once. Thank God our holiness comes from the grace of God and not by our feelings. Thank God that he loves us despite our failures, to continue working in our hearts to increase our faith by pushing us into holiness. Get this, pushing us into holiness whether we feel like it or not. I have a hard time being a jerk because God pushes me. whether I want to or not. One of the greatest legacies you can leave the next generation outside of letting them know that you don't always have it together is to let them see how much God has grown your faith despite those things. You're not who you were. You're not yet who you want to be, and that's okay. God keeps pushing you. God loves you anyway, and he works through your failures. He works through your victories to continue building your faith on a daily basis. Your faith is not defined by your failures or your victories. It's not defined by your past. It's not defined by our celebrations. 
It's defined by the growth and change God has brought in your life over time as a result of all of those things together. And if God has brought growth and change in your life, if your faith has increased, then you have something worth sharing to the next generation. You, they, they desperately need to hear your stories of God's love for you, your stories of God's faithfulness in your life and how he's continued to work to grow you into a faithful servant of his. To grow you into the faithful person that you would like to be even when you don't feel like it. I'm going to read some verses from chapter 27 now. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read verses 15 through 18, and then I'm going to skip over and read 22 and 23. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, the man in whom is, whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Verse 22. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. The anointing of Joshua represented a moving away from the lack of faith of the other spies which defined their wandering in the wilderness. Now to a faith of the man who was ready to enter 40 years ago. It's ironic that one of the excuses the people used 40 years ago not to go into the promised land was that they were afraid their children would be taken into captivity. It's these very children that they feared for, at least they said they feared for, who are going to get to enter the promised land. They are the very ones who have been elevated to being the conquerors. The faith to conquer the promised land will define this next generation. In this way, they're able to move forward, no longer constrained by the wilderness or defined by their parents, with new leadership, a leader who understood what it would take to enter the promised land from 40 years ago. And they will become something new. They are the nation of Israel and will always be the nation of Israel. They will always, always remember their time in the wilderness, but the time for wandering was over. And it was time to claim the promises that God had given them. They were going to become something new. They were going to settle down. 2007, Disney released the movie Meet the Robinsons. We watched it the other day. Um, rewatch it. It's one of my one of my favorites. It's uh, one one of the more highly underrated uh, Disney films that's come out in a while. Um, but it tells the story of a genius boy orphan who gets so caught up on looking backward, trying to figure out who his mother was, who abandoned him as an infant, thinking that looking backward would give him a future. 
He gets so caught up with it, he doesn't see the possibilities of actually moving forward with his life. And through a series of events, spoilers, uh, if you haven't seen this, you know, going on, what, six-year-old movie now, five-year-old movie? No, it's longer than that, 15-year-old movie. Yeah, it's too cold to do math, but not cold enough to sit in your lawn chairs. Through a series of events, he's able to get a glimpse into what his future could be. He's able to see a little bit of what he could, uh, a little bit of looking forward might be in his life. And he's inspired to start pursuing those things and to stop looking backward, to look forward to the future and not, and not look backward. The family motto, if you don't know it, is keep moving forward. It's repeated over and over and over throughout the movie. Keep moving forward. And ironically, spoilers again, it's his childhood friend who doesn't move forward, who dwells on the past and lets it fester and rot within him that becomes the villain in the future. This keep moving forward comes from a quote from Walt Disney himself. And it's, it's posted at the end of the film. They show the full quote right there. I'll read it to you. He said, around here, however, we don't look backwards for very long. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things because we're curious. And curiosity keeps uh, leading us down new paths. As Christians, our curiosity should be on what God is going to do next. We're kidding ourselves if we think God is always going to, to keep doing the same things he's always done. It may be a good Baptist, Baptist thing to say we've never done it that way before, but it's not a good biblical thing to say. Over and over again, we see God doing new things throughout Scripture. Um, over and over, the Psalms tell us to sing a new song to the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians uh, 3, 13 through 14, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having uh, laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And God declared through the prophet Isaiah in 43:19, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I love that. I'm going to do something new. Watch out. Here it comes. Pay attention. And he says, are you paying attention? Will you not be aware of it? Are you paying attention, church? God knows better than us what it takes to reach lost people with the gospel. God doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. But culture and societies do. And so long as we're attentive and in tune with God's leading, he will show us how to accomplish reaching our context with the gospel. Sometimes that looks like doing something similar to the way it's been done in the past. Sometimes it, it looks like doing, uh, just making a few tweaks or adjustments here and there. And sometimes it, it's something dramatic. It's a big change. It's a new thing. 
Regardless, we should be excited and filled with anticipation to see what God is going to do next. We should look, look backwards long enough to see how God has grown us through his grace and through faith to teach others what it looks like to serve God. But dwelling on past failures and trying to repeat past success doesn't move the church forward. As Malvern Hill begins, as we begin looking uh, and making steps to come out of our COVID accommodations, your pastors are being very careful of how we think about all of this. We're trying to be intentional on the way we phrase things and the way we think about things. Because the truth is, no matter how tempted we are to say something like uh, getting back to normal or going back to the way it was. Truth is, things are never going to be fully the way it used to be. COVID has transformed and changed the entire world in ways we don't fully understand yet. And it's going to take years for us to really understand the implications of what has happened in the past year. It's by necessity transformed and changed the church so that we can better reach people during this COVID time. And we don't fully understand what those changes are yet. We're not sure what COVID changes are going to be here to stay what pre-COVID things are going to come back unchanged or what completely new things we might have to adopt for post-COVID ministry. We're doing something we never thought possible right now, this moment, a year ago. The technology that we've been able to use with two cameras, sound system in here, piping video into the sanctuary, sending audio to a radio transmitter so that people can listen on the radio in their vehicles, and, and then and broadcasting live on YouTube so that people can stay home. The, the, we had no idea we could do this a year ago. And some of this is going to stay. There's no reason for us to stop doing video. But We don't know yet. And so we're trying to be very intentional in how we think and how we talk about these, uh, talk about post-COVID ministry. We're trying to not say that we're going back to normal and instead say we're beginning what's next. Even when we don't know exactly what that looks like. Some of it may look like a year ago. Some of it may not. But we're not going back to normal. We are beginning what's next. The next generation of Israel looked backward just long enough to understand what God had done in the past. And now they're looking forward to what's next. They're not going to do what they did before. They're not going to send spies in and back out. 
It's not what was done before. They're not going back to normal. They're moving forward with what's next. As you consider what it looks like to leave a godly legacy to those behind you, remember that even though there's value, there's extreme value in sharing the lessons of grace and faith that you've learned through your failures and your successes. It's also important to demonstrate that a life that looks forward to what God's going to do uh, is better than always looking backward to what God has already done. What's done is done. It doesn't do to dwell on the past. If if your past is full of failures, those failures don't define what God is going to do in your future. If your past is full of success and faith, that doesn't mean you can let your guard down and just coast as a Christian. There's more to learn. There's more growth to be made. And God wants us to keep moving forward with him, whatever it takes. Because God is going to move forward with or without us. Think for a moment, if you will, what the scene might have looked like in the wilderness. Where half a million people plus, maybe even a million or more. We get a count of around 600,000 fighting age men. And so that's not counting the non-fighting age males and that's not counting the women. So let's just say a million camped in the wilderness. And in the daytime, when God's presence isn't on top of the tabernacle, it still moves and leads them as a column of smoke or a pillar of fire and it moves them in a direction. Now, think if you will if this million people spent their time looking at where they came from behind them. They would miss God moving them forward to the promised land. Don't miss God moving because you're dwelling on something in the past, good or bad, success or failure. Some of us dwell on our failures. Some of us dwell on the victories and the good times. If we look too long at the past, we'll miss God moving us forward. So as I come to a conclusion here, I want you to consider what kind of legacy are you leaving to those coming up behind you? A legacy of grace. Don't be afraid to talk about your failures and how God has shown his grace over and over again in your life. It's important. People need to hear that God is a graceful, merciful God. Legacy of faith. Tell them how God has used both your failures and your successes to grow your faith. How God takes these things and makes you a better person. How he pushes you whether you want to or not. How he moves you, whether you feel like it or not. And a legacy of looking forward. Show them how to look forward with anticipation for the new things that God is going to do. 
and that it's not spiritually healthy to dwell on the past, to live in the past, whether it's a success or failure. Perhaps you're here and you're listening. Maybe, maybe you're in the parking lot. Maybe you're in your car. Maybe you're in the sanctuary. Maybe you're at home. And you're in need of some grace today. I want you to know that God loves you despite your failures. Even though you were in sin, Jesus still loves you enough to die for you. He died for your sins and you can experience the full grace of the Savior today. You're not too far gone. Jesus loves you where you are. Perhaps you're here today. You're saved. You're a Christian, but you don't think your faith is what it should be. Know that nobody believes their faith is what it should be. It's a red flag when someone says their faith is perfect. Somebody says, I've grown all I'm going to grow. There's something wrong there. We're never, we've, we've never arrived. We're never there. We're not going to get there until we leave this world. So long as we are breathing in human flesh on this earth, there is room to grow closer to God and to let him grow in our faith, grow our faith. How we feel about ourselves does it change God's love for us? Maybe you just need to hear that. How you feel about yourself doesn't change God's love for you. So with each step you take, baby steps, maybe you're in a position where you can take a big giant leap. Maybe God's calling you to take a leap. Maybe you've been standing on the edge of something and you just haven't jumped yet. Maybe he's saying it's time to jump. But maybe you just need to take a baby step. Every step, your faith is growing. But every step, you're moving forward. And maybe that's what you need to do today. It's what we all need to do, isn't it? To move forward. You can begin something new with God today. And it may be a new faith or renewed faith. It could be new ministry or a burden to reach that friend or coworker who needs Jesus. It could be a new baby step in a new direction or it could be a new leap off a cliff, something you've been putting off. Each step is a step forward into what God has planned for your life. What step do you need to take today? Will you move forward? We're going to sing in a moment. If you need to talk to someone, their uh, pastor's inside. I don't know. I think Adam's here. I'm here. Pastor Buster is inside. Um, you can grab one of our deacons. If you need prayer. If you need to take a step today, 
Let today be the first day of moving forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are God and knows that the heart of man is unstable. It's thrown about on the waves that so often we can't get out of our own heads long enough to focus on you. But God, we thank you so much for being a God who loves us anyway. A God that shows us grace when we mess up. A God that urges us to grow closer to you, whether we feel like it or not. And a God that is ready to do something new in our lives if we would just pay attention to you. And God, I know that there's, there's people here that need to make a step, that need to let you do something new. I pray that you give them the courage and the boldness to do that. Stand. We'll sing.